This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 10th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a, uh, an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editor and Chief Film Critic, Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello, hello. Chris, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay. Um, uh, I'll jump right into what we've been doing and say I had COVID, and uh, this was actually the first time I got COVID. I've been lucky so far, and uh, every now and then I would see like tweets where it'd be like, "Do you know anyone who's never got COVID?" And I was always like, ha, ha, "Me!" And it finally caught up with me. Um, I went to two festivals back to back. I went to TIFF in Toronto, and then I went to uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin, and I got through TIFF without even a sniffle. And that kind of made me cocky. And I was like, you know what? I'm fine. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm vaxxed. I'm boosted. I thought, you know, I'll be okay. And um, Fantastic Fest is very food and drink oriented because it's all at the Alamo Draft House. And they, you know, they have a big menu and you order food while you're watching the movie. So while I did uh, try to mask up at, at Fantastic Fest, it was a little harder because, you know, I was always like, ooh, I got to eat this. It's like that. Mm-hmm. And I was fine until the the very last full day I was there and I woke up and I felt like shit. And I was like, Oh man. Uh, and a part of me was like, well, you know, maybe I'm, you know, like maybe I'm hungover because you know, you know I, I was having a few. <laughs> and as the day went on, I got worse and worse and it got so bad that I had to just, I, I had like three more screenings that night and I just blew them off. I went back to my hotel and the second, I got back to the hotel, uh, gross out alert. I immediately threw up and I was like, uh oh. And there was a part of me that was still like, I hope it's just like the flu. But um, I flew home. And obviously, if you've ever been sick on a plane, it is the worst feeling in the world. Because, you know, you're packed in there like a sardine and you're sick. And I was like sweating from, you know, just being sick. And I was like, oh my God. And I got home, I went right to bed. The next day I woke up, I took a COVID test and sure enough, it was COVID. And I was just like, God damn it. And I had a really bad 
whatever strain. I don't know what they call them now. Really bad version of COVID. And uh, it lasted 11 days. Yesterday was day 11. And that was the first day I tested negative. And I still feel like I have like a little bit of a cold. You can probably hear it in my voice. But uh, for most of those 11 days, I was I was bad, man. I felt like I was dying. And I was like, holy shit, is this ever going to end? And unfortunately, unfortunately uh, I got my wife sick, which just made me feel really guilty and bad. And she's, she's actually still testing positive, but she feels a little better. But it was just a nightmare. And I, I learned my lesson, man. Like next time I go somewhere, I'm just... I am not taking off that that damn mask. I, you know, I've I've learned the lesson, and uh, you know, if you're out there and you got cocky like me, and you're like, I don't need a mask. Trust me, you do, because like I said, I'm I'm vaxxed. I got the boosters, and I still, uh, I honestly think this was the sickest I've ever been in my life. Like, I can't remember ever being this sick. Man, uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Chris. I'm 11 days is a long time to be feeling like utter trash. Um, yeah. So that that's. <laughs> That's really rough. And yeah, if anything, hopefully this will serve as um, yeah a, a reminder to, uh, to fellow cocky people out there to maybe, you know, if we can convince one person to maybe wear a mask when they wouldn't have otherwise or something, maybe this will be worth it. But yeah. Um, and, okay. Um, so on, in, in like, uh, you know, happier, brighter news, Chris, what else have you been doing recently? Yeah. So just today I, I took over by force. No, I'm kidding. I took over. Uh, <laughs> they asked me to do this. I've taken over the Slash Film newsletter. Um you might not even know we've had a newsletter, but we do. It's been running for a few weeks now, and now I am running it. Uh, I really hope you will subscribe to it because I'm going to try and uh, – you know, no offense to those who were handling it before me, but it was a little dry and just like, here are the links. And I'm trying to make it a little – give it a little more you know, personality. So uh, I hope you'll, you'll check it out. It, the plan is to have it run uh, daily. I don't think on the weekend, but you know, Monday through Friday. So mm-hmm. – and the hope is, you know, we, we publish a lot of stuff at SlashFilm.com, lots of stuff. So the hope is if some things fall through the cracks, they will be uh, in the newsletter. So hopefully things that people miss, they'll be able to catch on the newsletter. But you can only do that if you subscribe. So please subscribe. Awesome. Yeah. And we will put a link to uh, the newsletter in the show notes. So you can do that, you know, directly from your uh, a podcast app of choice. Um, okay, let's get into what we've been watching, Chris. Uh, I watched this movie called Athena. Have you have you seen this? I know you've probably heard about it. Yeah, I've heard it's amazing, and I, I actually tried to watch it while I was like sick with COVID, and I was like delirious, and I was like, I have to wait until I feel better, so I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a French movie directed by uh, Romain Gavras. I'm probably butchering that name. I apologize if I am. Um, HT talked about it, uh, I think the last time I did uh, a mini water cooler with her. So I, I won't go too deep about it, because she she really like went deeper on uh, you know what it's all about and, and everything. But the, the sort of, um, I guess the big like hook for the movie is that it's this visually stunning movie where a lot of the film was shot in long continuous shots, long takes, oneers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I uh, found myself just being really, really in awe of the um, the sort of dance that the movie is doing with all of that, and and the production design elements, and and the performances, and how everything. It really did feel like you know. A, a lot of times, I, I was reminded of. Um, of uh, Edgar Wright's uh, most recent movie, Last Night in Soho, where I've seen you know the behind the scenes footage and, and um, featurettes and stuff about some of the the sequences that he uh, was directing there, where like you know characters would um, sort of 
do what they call a Texas switch where like one person would, would uh, sort of like disappear out of frame and another actor would come in to replace them. And it just, they talked a lot about like the staging of it and the blocking of it and how um, it's very important that, you know, the cameraman knows exactly where they're, or the camera operator, I should say, knows exactly where they're uh, going to be at any given time and, and where the actors are. And it's just this really, really um, elaborate choreography. And this movie, uh, Athena, is very much like that, or, or it reminded me of that. It, I was thinking about that a lot, actually, maybe a little bit too much, Chris, during the whole thing. Like that was, yeah. I, I think I, I didn't connect with the movie on an emotional level because I just sat there being in awe of how it was done the whole time. Um, and it's not necessarily a movie where the the um, characterizations are particularly deep. It, it's pretty much like what you see is what you get on the surface. And it's a very um, political movie and, and the uh, character dynamics are like relatively obvious. Uh, you know what everybody's motivation is and it's not like a, um, you know, a deep character study. But, um, but I just found myself wondering, like, if this movie was shot in a different way, would I... Uh, be connecting more with the characters and their their journeys instead of, um, you know, just sort of like looking for hidden cuts or, you know, um, being more focused on the technical side of things. So uh, I think your mileage will vary in terms of like how much you actually connect with it. But that is, I I still think everybody should watch this movie, especially since it's on Netflix right now. It's it's a really easy thing to watch. Um, I mean, easily accessible, I should say. It's sometimes not the easiest movie to watch, but uh, but yeah, it, it's really gorgeous. There's there are so many images that are you know super arresting and, and really um, lovely and, and beautiful, even as like terrible things are happening on screen. So uh, it's called Athena. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, I caught up with Barbarian, Chris. I'm, I, what, what did you think about Barbarian? I, I missed like you know everybody's reaction to everything over the past month plus. So I, I assume you saw this movie, and what would you think about it? Man, I love this. Um, I didn't see it when it first opened. I just I couldn't. Um, and uh, I actually, because it opened around the time I was at TIFF, so I missed it. And when I came back from TIFF, and I said to my wife, like everyone keeps saying this movie is crazy, and we got to see it. And so we went and saw it, and we had a blast, man. It's so much. Uh, I don't want to. I, I always feel like this is a cop out when I say this, but it's definitely one of those movies where the less you know, the better the movie is. But it's one of those movies where it just keeps it keeps getting progressively crazier, mm-hmm. and I just kept like smiling the crazier it got, and I was like, "This is so good!" And it's such like a, a tight, lean little movie, and it it's so well done, and it kind of just felt like it came out of nowhere, and it was a nice reminder that you know. We can still get movies like this. We can still get movies that aren't uh, sequels or franchises, and, and uh, they can do well because this is doing well at the box office, pretty much by word of mouth. Yeah. So now is this band where you say I hated this movie and I never <laughs> want to? <laughs> no, it's actually where I uh, where I um, agree with you. I, I really really enjoyed this a lot. I, I loved not knowing where it was going because miraculously I managed to stay unspoiled, and and I think I'll I'll probably. Um, avoid spoilers here just in case there are some people that maybe haven't heard about this movie yet or and, and want to go check it out. I, I think it might be like getting close to leaving theaters. I saw it um, on a, I think it was, geez, I, I think I saw it last Thursday and that was the last day that it was playing in the local theater near me. Um, so hopefully people will still have a chance to check it out. If, if not, I know it's coming to, uh, I think it's HBO Max, um, like very soon, like October 25th. 20th. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully, um, you, you know, people can stay unspoiled uh, and, and sort of go on the journey that this movie takes them on. 
um, if they get a chance to see it, because I think it's definitely worth watching. Uh, Zach Kreger is the writer director. And I think this is his first movie. Is that right? Yeah. He, he was a, yeah. And he was a member of, it's called like the whitest kids, you know, it was like a comedy troupe. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. There was this, it's like a viral clip, but it's this thing going around where from that show where Abraham Lincoln is like up in the balcony and he's like such a jerk that everyone wants to shoot him. And <laughs> That's the guy who directed Barbarian, which just makes it like 10 times more amusing that this guy who's in this older viral Abraham Lincoln clip is the guy who directed Barbarian. Man, that's really funny. I So this movie is not, um, it, it's not like Get Out in in almost any way other than it's a horror movie. But that's really interesting that he comes from a comedy background and Jordan Peele obviously came from a comedy background as well. And, and they both made their first movies as horror movies. Um, I, I wonder if that just like speaks to the sort of uh, the thin line between um, horror and comedy and, and how some of those same skills. Uh, yeah. Cause they're, they're, they're both such like visceral emotion driven genres. And I, I do think there's definitely a, some sort of correlation there. Yeah. Um, man, Georgina Campbell, I don't know if I'd seen her in anything else. I still haven't yet to actually go back and dive in and, and look at her filmography in full, but, um, she's the, the female lead in this movie and she was incredible. I thought so, uh, yes, really, her. really good stuff in this movie. Um, and Justin Long is, is hilarious in this, even though he's playing like a scumbag, but he's so like memorable. Yeah. Well. <laughs> the, uh, the first time you see Justin Long in this movie, I was, I was sort of bowled over. I was like, what on earth is going on here? I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, um, yeah really, really fun stuff it's called Barbarian. It's in theaters now and it'll be on HBO Max on uh, October 25th. And then finally, I saw Don't Worry Darling, which um, was directed by Olivia Wilde. It was her, it's her second movie after Booksmart. Uh, I really loved Booksmart and I didn't like this as much, uh, nearly as much, because I, I really loved Booksmart. And um, this is a whole different type of thing. It's a psychological thriller. You've probably heard, you know, too much about this movie because of all the nonsense that was happening uh, all of the like the story about the story all the you know um i guess gossip and, and whatever that's sort of surrounding this movie um i was lucky and, and you know blissfully managed to miss a lot of that uh quote-unquote discourse about about the stuff around the movie so i was able to mostly just engage with the movie itself um and i you know, there are elements of it that I really like. Uh, Florence Pugh is is doing her best, really, like putting this movie on her shoulders and, and sort of running, screaming through the frame and, and um, you know, doing what she can. It, it This is a movie that, that sort of um, feels like a pastiche of a lot of different things. And then by the time it gets to the end, uh, it, the... I'll just say that the wind was let out of the sails a little bit for me. Um, Chris Pine plays a sort of... Um, he's supposed to be like this this charming almost a cult leader not quite a cult leader but uh you know this this um industrial uh this this guy who like um managed to charm a bunch of people to come out to the desert and live in this uh, um stepford wives-esque neighborhood and work for this company this mysterious company and um you know he has this vision to change the world and he's supposed to be this really um uh, yeah like th this sort of magnetic figure that that um, the people in town are all drawn to. And I, I bought that from him, but the, I will say that the, the speeches that he is asked to give that um, are, are meant to convey the, uh, the magnetism that he's supposed to be, you know, um, displaying to these people. I thought the speeches could have used a little bit more. I, I feel like 
he was um, game to play this role, but I just feel like the role didn't quite live up to what he's capable of as an actor and, and what he uh, could have brought to something like this if, if the, the work was a little bit stronger for him. So um, th- there's this like psychological game that he plays with Florence Pugh's character at, at a certain point, and it feels like it's setting up for something really epic is the wrong word, but but a, a showdown between them that's going to be this really intense, like, oh man, the movie is building to this big confrontation between these characters. And you get like a couple little scenes where they seem to go back and forth and then nothing really happens. It just sort of peters out. And I, I was disappointed. I felt like it, it sort of, um, you know, didn't quite live up to its full potential there. But uh, I can't talk about the ending of the movie without really getting into spoiler territory. So I won't do that here. Maybe we can talk about it like when we talk about our best movie moments of the year or something, maybe something like that from, from this movie will make it into that conversation. But um, yeah, I, I found myself ultimately a little bit disappointed with it, even though there were, there are moments and, and sort of flourishes and flashes of, uh, of good stuff in this movie, but um, I was a little mixed on it. Chris, did you see, don't worry, darling. What did you think about it? I haven't seen it. I'll, I'll see it. Um, if I get like an award screener or whenever it comes to uh, Blu-ray, I was sort of interested in it, but all the stupid hoopla about it and yeah. also um and this isn't me being like i'm so smart but like watching the trailers i was like i know exactly what the twist is in this movie and where it's gonna go and it sort of just made me like i don't have to rush out and see that but i i really liked book smart i feel like there's been some like weird backlash to book smart over the years but i think it's wonderful so yeah. i i'm definitely willing to give this a chance because i love florence Pugh in general i think she's one of those like great actresses who can't give a bad performance so i'll definitely see it but uh yeah i wasn't in a rush to go see it in theaters okay yeah i'm curious to to, uh, hear what you think about that when you get a chance to check it out uh what have you been watching recently uh so a little while ago i haven't been on the show in a while but i'm bringing this up for a specific reason i saw blonde which is uh andrew dominic's new movie about marilyn monroe starring uh, anna de Armas as marilyn monroe and uh, even if you haven't seen this movie, um, if you're if you're very much online as as I am, you you probably have noticed the the very severe backlash to the film. Um, it has an NC seventeen rating, which immediately made everyone like clutch their pearls. And it's it's a uh, it is a brutal movie. It is not a pleasant film. And <coughs> sorry, damn you, COVID. Um, it's a uh, it is not a pleasant film. And people have been taking issue with that and people have specifically been like, you know, this is ruining Marilyn Monroe's legacy. And the thing is, um, this is not a biopic. This is very much a fictional, (coughs) sorry, portrayal of of Marilyn Monroe. I mean, it's based on a novel and uh, you know, the closest, the most recent correlation I can think of is Spencer with uh, Kristen Stewart. Like, yes, that's based on, a true story about Princess Diana, but that is like 100% fictional. I mean, there's a scene in that movie where Princess Diana sees the ghost of Anne Boleyn. Like that didn't mm-hmm. happen, but no one, no one got like furious about that movie, but this movie has been like, people have been like, you shouldn't even watch it. And if you do, you're a bad person. And that, that really like pissed me off because one, I think this is actually a great movie, even though I, I, I fully admit it's hard to watch. So I, I just wrote this this fairly, uh, not big, but big-ish piece where I, I, I try to reappraise the film. It seems weird to reappraise a film that just came out, but I kind of feel like it needs to be reappraised a little bit already because the, the, the hyperbole has gone through the friggin' roof. And, you know, this piece is basically about me saying, like, yes, this movie is upsetting. 
yes, this movie is disturbing, but that is the point. Like, it's not an accident. It's not like Andrew Dominic wanted to make a happy movie and accidentally <laughs> made this, like, horror film. Like, he deliberately set out to make this disturbing, upsetting film. And I, I completely understand if no one, if you don't want to sit through that, or if you have sat through it and you didn't like it, that's fine. But the backlash I'm seeing has been, like, really judgmental and like high and mighty and like, you know, you're morally bankrupt if you like this. And that shit drives me crazy, man, because, uh, you know, art doesn't have to play by your rules, your, your stupid little rules. Like art, art is art and you should digest art and you should uh, critique art on its own terms. You shouldn't, you know, you have no moral high ground here, I guess is what I'm saying. Not you, man. Mm-hmm. I'm, ta- I'm talking to the audience. You have no moral high ground here. You know, you, as as holy and perfect as you think you are, you are not. And you are not above art. And the idea that there are people just tr- chastising those out there who dare to like a difficult movie, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. And that's that's sort of why I wanted to write this piece. And it is up on SlashFilm.com. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to link to that in, in the show notes so people can check that out directly. Uh, and then you've also been checking out a couple other things too, right? Yeah, so... Uh, Criterion just put out Lost Highway, David Lynch's Lost Highway, on 4K, and I watched it last night. And uh, have you ever seen this, Ben? I watched it once when I was, I think, 19, and it was like one in the morning, and I, I don't really remember much of anything about it. Yeah. To be, to be honest, I, I have like snatches of imagery in my mind, but I, I couldn't even tell you the plot of this thing. Right? Um, yeah, I, I love this. this. Is actually, I sometimes I, I honestly think this is my favorite David Lynch movie. Um, it's just this very strange obviously it's very very strange nightmarish story of you know uh, duality and, and double uh natures and um it's it's essentially two stories the first story uh is is bill pullman he plays this like jazz fusion saxophone player and he lives in a house with his wife uh played by patricia arquette and uh, they start getting videotapes in the mail and the videotapes are someone filming their house and literally coming into their house and filming them while they're asleep. Oh, and Jesus. then, and then one night, uh, Patricia Arquette's character is, is brutally murdered. And it looks like Bill Pullman is the one who killed her, even though he can't remember killing her. And he goes to jail, he gets convicted and he actually gets sent to, uh, he gets convicted and sentenced to death. And while he's on death row, uh, one night, all this, you know, strange light flashes in his cell. And the next day, they find a completely different person in his cell, played by uh, Balthazar Getty. Remember him? Where did he go? I don't know. Wow. But yeah. um, <laughs> and so they have to release him because he's not the same guy. And then it turns into this completely different movie where Balthazar Getty's character falls in love uh, with a woman who's also played by Patricia Arquette, and she's the the girlfriend of this mob boss, played by the the late great Robert Loggia. And uh, so the whole movie is just about you know these two different stories and. Uh, Robert Blake, the the accused murderer, shows up and he plays this like strange otherworldly guy. And just the whole movie, the whole movie feels like a nightmare. And I know that that's like a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. Like, ah, this movie is nightmarish. But this really has that like everything's off kilter. You don't know what's happening. You can't really tell if you're awake or dreaming sort of vibe to it. And uh, I honestly find this to be like one of the best horror movies like ever. And again, I know that's hyperbole sounding, but I, I, I really believe it. And uh, even if I didn't get this 4K, I try to rewatch it every year around Halloween. But luckily this year, 
uh, criteria put out that 4K, which looks great. So I, I really recommend picking that up if you're if you're a fan or if you just want to see this movie. Okay, so that's called Lost Highway, and then you also uh, revisited a, a comedy classic. Yes, uh, I'm in full blown uh, Halloween mode where I'm trying to only watch uh, you know Halloween adjacent films this month. And I, I rewatched Young Frankenstein, and you know I feel like there's not much to say about Young Frankenstein at this point, but God, that movie is funny. It's so goddamn good, and uh, it's such like a love letter to to classic universal horror movies. Like a lot of Mel Brooks's other movies are, they're just like they're sending things up, and they're just like, look at how goofy this is. And mm-hmm. Young Frankenstein is is kind of different because it's it's for one thing, it feels more like a real movie than his other movie. It's not just like a series of parodies and quips like this. It feels like a, a real movie, but it also feels like it, it's really paying tribute to those universal monster movies. And I grew up loving those, those, those classics. So I just, I just love this movie and it still makes me laugh no matter how many times I see it. I wonder how much of that has to do with um, the, the castle setting and like yeah. the actual sets, because a lot of Mel Brooks's other stuff I don't think I've seen every movie that he's directed, but I've seen four or five of them at least. And, and it just feels like a lot of the other sets that he uses are like, he sort of cheaps out on the sets because that's part of the joke almost. It's like, um, I mean, it's even actually addressed uh, head on in blazing saddles where like the characters ride into a town and then they realize that it's all just facades, like wooden facades. Um, So, you know, part of his movies, history of the world part one, uh, those, those movies kind of feel like, um, you know, they rented a spot for a day because it was the best that they could do. And they just sort of like slap some stuff together. And like the, the jokes are the, the central thing, but young Frankenstein almost feels like the atmosphere is the central thing. And the jokes are like uh, icing on the cake almost. So I wonder if that's um, yeah, the sort that's of a, secret ingredient to its success. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of summing it up. It's just such a delightful film. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.